When I speak to anyone that's done, done any period of time of preaching, they, they go to their favorite little topics and they discuss that and they you know, deal with that. And, and they kind of glance over. Now, there's a story about a gentleman that was imprisoned in somewhere in the First World War, across the Second World War. This guy was imprisoned in a Hungarian prison. It's like a dungeon prison. You know, like, can you see the underground prison? And they actually forgot about him. And the warden changed and some new systems came in and they went and they found this guy in some cell somewhere that's been there for 45 years. Okay. And he was just talking gibberish. So they got some psychologists out and they to listen to him and speak to him, see if they can't get this man to, you know, just come, come right, be compass mentis. And then they discovered he's not talking gibberish, he's talking a very old dialect of like a, one of those languages up there. Um, I can't remember the detail. Let's say it's Hungarian for argument's sake. And they got a translator in and eventually they're pushing him out in a wheelchair and they ask him, what do you want? What can we give you? And he said, can I have a mirror, please? And you know, they were baffled. Why would you want a mirror? And they, they gave him a mirror. He looked in the mirror and he broke down crying. I mean, the first time he saw his face in 45 years. Just imagine how that'd be if you had no clue how you look. You've lost perspective of who you are. You've lost that. Now, the Bible is a mirror for the soul. Because when you look into that mirror, it can reflect who you truly are. And that's why I don't like all scriptures in Bible. And especially Matthew chapter 18. I just don't like it. It's painful. I wish I can tear it out. Some people do. One day I was sharing at a, 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 a Voortrekker camp up in Pretoria, and I put in false pages in my Bible that I could tear out, and I said, yeah, you're not allowed to be ugly to your mom for instance, and I said, who did it? who's been ugly to their mother? Who's lied? And it's like, ah, oh, let's just tear that out. And I tore the paper out, folded it up, threw it over my shoulder. Obviously, by the third and fourth page, the parents went, well, the kids went, well, like, what? You can't tear it out. Well, we can if we don't live it. You know? And that kind of dro drove the point home. And chapter 18, we're going to read the first 10 verses together. We did share on verse 1 to 4 last week. That's a message on its own. I want to share with you this part, which I really believe can be a mirror to us. To us. It's definitely a mirror for me. And it convicts me over severely. And that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called the little, ch the little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become a, as a little ch children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. On Wednesday night, we, 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 we just dissected this a little bit more. And we're talking about two kingdoms here, the kingdom of the world, where it says you need to be great. You need to exalt yourself. You need to 
uh, go somewhere, save money and be important where the kingdom of God says become like a child. You see, why would you be the greatest in heaven to become like a child? Because you have to slay your dragons. You have to slay those things in your life that keep your bondage. It's, it's difficult to overcome greed. It's difficult to overcome pride. It's difficult to overcome lust. It is difficult to overcome depression. But you and I, when once we've killed those things, we've humbled ourselves and we've become dependent, we become great in the kingdom of God. Because we know now we're not on our own strength. So come Wednesday nights. It's good to dissect. It's good to be involved in it. Whoever, chapter, verse 5, receives a little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. And we've said to one another, keep your offense to the cross. If you want to offend people and be offensive, keep it to the cross. The cross is offensive enough to the flesh. You don't have to add to it, no. But woe to you, woe to that man whom offenses come by. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, it is better for you to enter into life, lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, it is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is so convicting to me. See, the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is talking about a physical child. He brings a physical child before them, and he says, I want you to become like this child. But then he says, well, if you make anyone stumble that believes in me. So he's bringing a young believer before them. Does that make sense? And that's also a child. You see, you can be 75 years old and get born again and saved. That doesn't make you a spiritual anything but a spiritual baby. Do you understand that? A spiritual child. So he says, woe to those who make children stumble and fall. And woe to those who make young born again Christians stumble and fall. He's talking to these, the polarity of this. So if you open your Bible in 1 John 2 verse 12, you'll see there where He's writing, he says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So he's saying, somebody that's gone to the realization that they are forgiven, that they are saved, okay, he calls them little children. Next verse, I write to you, fathers. So he's talking about spiritual fathers. You become a spiritual father because you have known him that is from the beginning. So you started to know who Jesus is. You started to know his character, the way he walks, the way he talks. You no longer refer to him as the big man upstairs, Groot Boot, you know, the man upstairs, my cousin. 
You know, you no longer refer to him like that because you've got some awe and some reverence, understanding that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's with majesty. And when he comes, he's going to come with fire in his eyes. You no longer wear a cross with a Jesus on it because you know he's resurrected. He's no longer dead. There's a huge difference with a Jesus on a cross and an empty tomb. All right. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. You've started to slay the giants in your life. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. But you've started to overcome. Maybe it's depression. You started to beating that. Start understanding you can go forward. That is called a young man. Because you have overcome the wicked. I write unto you, little children, because you've known the Father, experienced the Father's love. So I want you to see these three categories. It is young children, little children, young boys and girls or young men and fathers and mothers in the spirit. Is it? Now let's go back to Matthew. Matthew says, if you make one of these children stumble, yes, the physical child, 100%. And this is where it grips my heart. It grips me because I look in the mirror of this word, of this scripture, and I speak to my wife. And my wife says to me, Welcome, maybe you must leave the small kids alone. You've just never been good with them. I love them. I absolutely love small kids. But I believe in raising children strict. That's me. I believe in taking no nonsense from a little child because he needs to know who's the parent. He needs to know where the guidelines are. He needs to know where the boundaries are. Otherwise, he'll be like floodwaters that will cause destruction as it goes on. And I would rather establish those boundaries very firm and very strong and we can deal with your opinion once you've got a little bit of brains. But that's just me. Not everybody's going to agree with that. So my master says, maybe you should leave the little children. And then I read this scripture and I'm like, Lord, am I making them stumble? Am I causing them Am I misrepresenting you to them? Have I misrepresented you to my sons? And I missed it. I don't like this text from that point of view because I'm looking in a mirror and I'm seeing my flaws. So I don't want to forget the way I look. And this is what Scripture is for. We need to look into the Scripture and not be deceived. Not be deceived, but see the reality that our Father is trying to speak to us and saying, this is how you do it. This is who you are. Now, I want to just, because it's easy then to get into this place where it's like, I'm broken, I'm shattered, I fall short of these things, and I'm not perfect. Who's in the boat of not perfect? Okay? If you don't put up your hand, you don't believe that, you must come, we will chase out that lying demon. (laughs) because we are all and we can feel overwhelmed by the enemy's presence we can feel that well you know what i've been struggling this with this thing for 30 40 50 maybe some of you 60 years 70 years and i cannot get victory over it who knows what i'm talking about okay i want to show you something from the scripture we can go to isaiah 14 i want you to understand this When Jesus came back 
after he was crucified, he said the following words. He says, all power has been given unto me. So if Jesus has all the power, how much does the enemy have? No. Basic mathematics. A hundred minus a hundred equals zero. So the enemy might have had some power, but all of it's been given to Jesus. All power belongs to him. This is talking about the enemy. Listen to this. Listen to the description in Isaiah 14. He says, and they shall speak and say unto you. Uh, have you become like us? Powerless. Let me just get my translation here. Have you become weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp has brought you down to Seoul. And the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggots is spread under you and worms cover you. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will send into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pit, depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider saying, Is this the man who made us? The earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of their prison. You see, there will be a day when we, and that's the, the, the dispensation that we live in, because all power has been given to Jesus. You see, he, the enemy is covered with worms and maggots. And so when we see this, when we start seeing this, we start realizing, we're like, are you doing this to me? How's that possible? How is that possible? That you keep me bondage when all power has been given to God. It's a lie. The only thing he has is as you believe that he's got power over you. You and I. All power has been given to Jesus. Let's go to 1 John 5. You open your Bible in 1 John 5. I didn't put it up. Can you put it up on the board, Skull? 1 John 5. I want you to see this. John knows something. John is the guy that was lying on Jesus' chest. John knows something about the Lord. He says, whoever believes that Jesus, the Christ, is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begotten, also loves him, who is begotten of God. By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, 
That is our faith. And this is the victory that our, has overcome the world, our faith. So I want you to read verse 1 with me, and we're going to read verse 4. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Who believes that Jesus is the Christ? Okay, the word says then you are born of God. You are born of God. So does it mean that you are not naturally born? Of course you're naturally born. Okay, but it means there's a rebirth that's happened. That you're born of God. Now verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. The what? The victory. The what? The victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. Are you following? All power has been given to Jesus. All right? You get born of God by believing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. He says, now you have stepped into victory. You're no longer world champions, you're universe champions. There's a next level. All right? You are more than conquerors. So the idea that you cannot get victory over something is a lie. The truth of the fact is that you are living in victory. But we believe more in the lie than in the victory. We believe more in what we see than what we believe. And we ought to change that. That we live in what we believe. That I am victorious i am a victory so let's go back to our matthew passage and it says there it names three things it talks about eyes and feet and hands verse eight if your hand or your foot causes you to sin cut it off so i want you to understand that god doesn't have a body do you know that god doesn't have god is spirit Okay, a spirit doesn't have a body. So when he's talking, we need to understand what God is trying to say. He says, when he speaks about his right hand, what is he talking about? His power. Because right hand represents power. So it's not form, but function. Are you following? Not form, but function. Does God have a head? No, what does a head represent? What's the function of a head? Thinking, thoughts, ideas, dreams, and plans. Does that make sense? Okay, so he says here, if your foot, let's start with the hand. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, does God really want to chop off your hand? Well, if your hand keeps on murdering people, rather chop off your hand. Okay, so you can't murder anymore. All right, now you're going to stab them to death with your stompy. <laughs> you know? He's talking about what? What does the hand represent? Actions. Now, there's two things that you need to understand it's the actions that I do and the motives behind them. What I do and why I do it. Jesus hangs on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That they know what they were doing. 
Of course they knew. They knew exactly how to take the nail, hit it through his hands. They knew how to do everything. But they didn't know what they were doing. Motive. That makes sense. You can give somebody a hug. What's the motive behind that hug? You can lend somebody a helping hand. But what's the motive behind that? You see, is your motive going to make somebody sin and stumble? Because they're going to see it. Or you can just be plain doing the wrong thing. Robbing, stealing, being corrupt. Having lots of money in your couch. <laughs> and then flown overseas. You see, the Bible says, do not envy the wicked because it's going well with them and they're prospering and they're doing all these nice things. You see, why? Jesus also addresses something very important here. He talks about a lake of fire or everlasting fire and hell and life. You see, there is a life after this life. There's a, I want you to get this. You and I. Every single person that's ever lived on the face of the earth one day will stand in front of the judgment seat of God. Will. Doesn't matter how much bucks you made and if you were the gang leader that popped every second head. No. It doesn't matter. Or you're the lowly, lowly, lowly street sweeper that ate out of the dustbin. Every single one of us will stand in front of Adolf Hitler, Pablo Escobar, Stalin, you, me, Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, Julius Malema, Eugene Terblanche. It doesn't matter. The CEO of Rothschild. It doesn't matter will stand in front of the King of Kings. And if there is sin, there's an everlasting lake of fire, hell, where that person will go. If they are not saved, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that is the end of the discussion. At that moment, our feelings will count for Nothing. Nothing. My good deeds. Ooh, I gave money to the SPCA. Nothing. Lord, I adopted six children. It will mean nothing. The only thing that will count then is am I saved? And you'd know if you're saved. Right where you sit now, every single one of you know whether you're saved or not. And if you've got the slightest doubt, it's because you're not. If you are saved, you know that you're saved. Why? Because you're so great and awesome. No, no, no. Because the Spirit of God testifies with your spirit. You see... My son knows he's my son because I've been telling him you're my son since the day he's born. He wouldn't even know if he's my genetic son. 
He wouldn't know. We haven't done a genetic test. But don't worry, you're my genetic son. <laughs> so I start to panic. His eyes. Daddy, what are you saying? <laughs> All right. So the way, what I do. Now here's the thing that I want you to understand. It's not easy walking with people. Because the closer we walk, the more the blemishes we see. Make sense? So the closer you come to me, I see that swart copie, ne? There's a blackhead over there and a yellow one over here. You know, it's not really. I'm joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> There's nothing there. He's got a nice, clear complexion. Because when we come closer to people, we see their blemishes. We see their faults. And the next one is foot. If your foot, the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you're going about life, that's where you walk and what you, how you walk. Okay? If it causes you to sin, chop off your foot. So what's he saying? Change the function. Change the way. Does that make sense? So, yeah, it is a very difficult thing. Because when you walk near, come closer to us. Not everybody can walk with a pastor. You know that. They can't because they realize his breath smells also. They realize he's, he's uh, got faults and doesn't quite know how to deal with small ones. They realize oh, he loses his temper when those kids shout and scream. Not because he hates them, because he's human, he's flawed. He's still working on getting, when getting that victory settled, nailing it to the cross. So not everybody can do that. And that will lead, and we're going to speak about that now, just, just now. But so where I walk is important. Where I walk is important. Um, I went one day at my boys did some dancing. We dropped them off the dancing, and, and I was alone in a car. And I thought I'm going to park in some parking lot overlooking the ocean. Nothing wrong with that, am I right? And I parked there, and the next thing I realized, this parking lot is for transvestite prostitutes because they came knocking at my window and i'm looking what am i seeing here is this no lord i'm leaving now <laughs> okay now somebody could have seen that seen my car see why does that pastor go there where did he go why did he go there what's his motive That was to save my own. I ran. I ran, but it was like I squeezed like a little girl, but I get That's a fright. You see, where I, if I go to backline and I hang out there the whole time, somebody, a small, a young believer, could see me there and think, "What are you doing here?" Let me let me tell you this story. Years ago, I was about twenty years old. Rachel, you're gonna enjoy this. I was in, in Port Elizabeth and I was doing a shop fitting. I was actually with a broken collarbone building a Vodacom shop. And one morning I'm walking in and it's an L-shaped mall. I walked in and in this corner there's a coffee shop and I went and the shop I'm walking in is about, let's say, three or 10, 15 stalls down that way. And as I'm walking, somebody pats me on my shoulder. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. 
Somebody pats me on my shoulder and I turn around and here is the most beautiful young lady. She is as pretty as a pink. And, I, and I'm already out of words. I'm like, what? You know, I'm shy, especially, you know, I'm a young, unmarried man. He has this beautiful girl. She taps me on my shoulder. I turn around. I say, hi. And she goes, hi. <laughs> and I'm already blushing. You know that blush that just overwhelms you? <laughs> I become like a coke top, my bro. Red, 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 red. She's, and she says the following thing. She says, you're the most handsome man I've ever seen. And I'm like, Earth, swallow me, please. Please, I don't want to be here. Can I melt? Where's the. And all I did is pan around and walked away. I didn't even talk. I didn't say a word. I just like. <laughs> it was worse than the rugby last night. And about an hour or two later, I gathered my thoughts and my confidence, pulled my socks off because, oh, yeah, that's a hottie. And she likes me. So I went and I sat down and I had a conversation with her, drink some coffee, and she's telling me, and I'm unsaved, I'm unsaved, completely. I'm, as, I'm not interested in the Lord whatsoever. And she's telling me about Jesus. And she's saying to me, you know, she, she loves God and she loves Jesus, and, you know, you know, she wants to introduce me to Jesus, and can I come to church with her? And I said to her, man, you do Jesus. Okay, I do me. Jesus up there, devil up there, they're having a war, nothing to do. That was my stance. I wasn't disrespectful to the Lord. I had more sense than that. If there's a God, don't challenge him. You know, I had more sense than that, you know. But, and I left. And every day I'd go drink coffee and she'd come sit there and she'd give me a free salad. You know, I like uh, um, Greek salad. She'd give me a free Greek salad. It was a hot girl. Pretty little thing, you know. And being unsaved and single, you know. Guys, I don't have to say anymore. Here you got where your thoughts are going. A couple of weeks later, I'm with my man, Ant. Anthony, Ant. We're in Super Sport Pub. We're having a good time. A lot of whiskeys. A lot of beers. And guess who I see? This girl. And she is as high as a kite. And she is... There's some guy on hanging on her, and she's like, I don't know, keep it, keep it creepy crawling him, you know, <laughs> sucking his face. And I went to her. I went to her. And I said, Where's this God you talking about? Are you partying like her? Because she misrepresented him where she walked. She was doing the wrong thing. Can make a little child stumble. Does that make sense? We need to see where we walk. Luckily the Lord didn't give up on me then. He sent some more people. Donkey Jesus. Alright. So. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now does God want you to pluck out your eye when you look at a hot lady and get the wrong thoughts? No, he doesn't really want you to do that. But if you can't get victory over it, pluck your eye out. Okay? But what does the eye represent? What is the function, not the form? It's to see. It's how we look. What we're looking at and how we're looking at that. Does it make sense? 
You can look at a nice car, nothing wrong. But if envy enters your heart because you're looking at that car, you're looking at it the wrong way. You can meet a handsome young man, look upon him, and appreciate it. But if your mind goes to lust, the how you're looking at is the wrong way. Now you can find and learn to get to know the pastor, move closer to him, see that his breath smells and he's got a little hair on his nose. He looks like a rhino horn that has to pluck every week. You know, you can and realize his faults and become critical. You're looking at the the wrong way. Not everybody can handle walking close to you. You need to. We need to be mature. We need to grow up. My mentors, they've got flaws. But I'm not going to look at them critical. I'm going to look at them with the grace of God. You see, when we start looking critical, it is because we have not grace in our wallet. Our spiritual wallet is empty and we've got no grace and mercy for the next person. Therefore, we become critical. I don't like this about them. I don't like that about them. And, and, and. So now I'm being critical because I don't know the grace that I, that's been dished out for me. Therefore, I'm walking in pride. And I need to get on my knees and say, Lord, show me the grace you have extended to me where I fall short of your glory. Deposit it in my spiritual wallet so that I can dish it out. Because your word says, freely you've received, freely give. But you can't give what you don't have. What does the word say? He's got more grace for the humble, but he resists the proud. So if I walk in a critical spirit near somebody, I've seen the flaws, now I'm walking near them, and I become critical, it's because I am walking in pride. And God is resisting me. I need to go back to the drawing board. I need to go by my knee and say, Father, I need more of your grace. I need you to just remind me how flawed I am. And please give me some more grace. I need to humble myself so that I can have some spiritual currency in my wallet. So when I meet somebody, I can extend that grace for free. It's easy to find the fault. You see, how I look, what I'm looking at, ambition. I can look at the future with an overzealous ambition, a prideful ambition. That's wrong. I can look at Scripture, which is the most beautiful thing to look at. And I can look with it with arrogance and say, it doesn't suit me. I'm doing it wrong. See, how I look, I need to then, see, does God want me to pop out my eye? Well, if you can't change it, do it. But you can change it. You can. Why? Because all power has been given to Jesus. Because you are born of God and this is the victory. He who believes that Jesus is Lord, even our faith has made you a victor. You can overcome whether it's anxiety, whether it's depression, whether it's porn addiction, um, low self-esteem, insecurity. It doesn't matter whether it's greed and pride and the wrong envy. It doesn't matter. You can overcome it because you walk in victory. You walk in victory. Remember that 
when you walk, it can cause other people to stumble. It's, it's a thin line. Third day's got a song called Walking on a Wire. What if I stumble? What if I fall? I'm walking on a wire. Will be there somebody there to support me? You see, if I want people to support me, I need to support people. If I want people to be gracious to me, I need to be gracious to them. The last thing that I want you to see in verse 10 of Matthew 18 is this, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so what I want you to see here is that we don't worship angels. Okay, Don't go buy yourself a necklace with an angel. Don't go collect little angels. It is forbidden. You're opening a door that you don't want open in your life. And if you have it, dump it. You see right there, we're looking in the mirror and say, but oh my little angels. Oh my... Make no image of what is in heaven or on earth. We've got all these little angels, so we're hanging on angels. If you've got a saint, think you throw it away. It's dead. When we say Saint Nicholas or Saint this or Saint Paul or Saint this, and we have little crosses and emblems and pictures of them, we are worshipping the dead. Toss it away. You're opening a door that you don't want to open. You don't worship angels. You worship the commander of the angels. We don't command them. He commands them. Not my job description. The Lord of hosts. That's the commander of the armies of heaven. That's Jesus. That's his description. He is the commander in chief. Now, this is what he says. I want you to get this. Your angels that are assigned to you are before him all the time. You don't have to command them. You don't have to instruct, oh, my angel, this, my angel. You don't have to say, oh, this is my God. That's hogwash. We worship our Father in heaven. We speak to Him. Say, Father, will you protect me, please? What does He say? Go. Now somebody comes to you and they say, but you, you know, you need to up your security system. You need to do this and you need to get seven Rottweilers and two crocodiles. You know? <laughs> to make sure. And where's your moat? Yeah, no, it's dangerous, eh? Right there. Right there. Your angels turn around and they drop their mission. And they go back. You speak life into that situation. You say, the Lord is my protector. They carry their mandate. They surround you. You say, yeah, but there's no business. They drop their mandate. You prayed this morning, Father, please provide. Okay, go. Oh, there's no business. Come back. You speak life into your life. You speak life into your situation. You speak life over your children. You speak life into your government. Please speak life over your pastor. He needs it. Ne? Okay? Speak life over. Speak life over your marriage. Don't speak death. You're battling to quit smoking? This is how you say it. I don't smoke anymore. I don't smoke. I am not a smoker. But what's that in your mouth? I don't smoke. That's literally how I stopped smoking. Literally how I stopped smoking. Blowing circles at people. 
Paul smoked him up Peter stuff in the extra mild. 20 a day. Being with all the smokers. He said, but you smoke. He said, I don't smoke. I don't smoke. <laughs> but you're smoking. I, this body might be, but I don't smoke. And then one day it was just finished. You ask my wife, no withdrawals, no, I've got to get a chocolate, get chocolate and water and sweeties and replace one addiction with another addiction. Oh, just give me a mint. No. Why? Because your angels are before him. You pray and you speak life and you watch what God does. Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Before he hit the ground, the angels locked the lion's mouths. Oh, uh, what did Daniel, why did he throw him into the lion's den? Why did he go there again? Can you remember? Because he was praying. He was speaking to his father. Let's throw him in the lion's den. What's he doing? Oh, father, the lions. No, you would have sounded like David. You come to me with a sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. You know, he's like, throw me in there and see what happens. There's a line where they like, how did you say it? Manna from heaven. Here comes Daniel. <laughs> Can't eat yet. I can just imagine those lines. It's a lie, but I think down here. Daniel smells nice. I wish I could lick him. <laughs> Locked up. What you speak, death and life lies in the power of the tongue. So if we can add to Matthew, if your mouth causes you to sin, cut out your tongue. What's the function of the tongue? Is what you say. Are you speaking life over yourself and your situation and your country and your business and your family? Or are you actually cursing? Because when you say there's no jobs, you are cursing. When you say there's no money, you are cursing. You say, well, the economy has gone to, you are cursing. It's, well, you know, no new complaints this week. Good. Good. You have just given permission for new complaints to come into your life. Blessed. Scala. Who hundred? Now, if you know Skulk, and you ask him how's it going, he repeats that. He repeats that over and over and over and over and over and over. When I left Pretoria, it wasn't three months I missed that man. What did I miss? Every Sunday. Skulk, how are you? Every Sunday. Now somebody would think, oh, that's so stupid. I'm so irritate me with this little rhyme. Okay, you're ready into a critical spirit. You're ready looking at it with a critical spirit. And Salah is hanging. But do you know the story behind it? Do you know the testimony behind it? Do you know that that man is victorious over cancer? Do you know what God is doing in his life because he is speaking life? When he had a death sentence from, from the doctors, God heals. And he speaks life and he speaks life. And now you look at him and say, oh, there's testimony here. There's power here. Speak life. Death, warning, warning. When everything in language, when you write language, anything that starts with a negative is a warning. Okay, death and life lies in the power of the tongue. It's a warning. Death and life lies in the power of the tongue. And he who eat, lives by it shall eat its fruit. 
so you and I will eat the fruit that we speak. You will. You speak life. And if you can't, then cut out your tongue. Or at least, at least, zip it. Just zip it. If you can't say anything good about yourself, zip it. If you can't say anything good about your spouse, zip it. Or your children, or your pastor, zip it. Because you will eat the fruit. Remember now, God not mocked. You don't mock God and get away with it. Not even God can sing the Titanic. Bloop, 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 bloop. That which you sow, you will reap. Speak life. Don't hang on, angels. We're not commanded for that. Oh, my little guardian angel. Paint a little. I can carry on preaching for another two hours. But I'm going to stop. I'm going to leave you with this. How do you know when once you're deceived? How would a Christian know that he's deceived? How would a child of God know that he's deceived? When he searches for the gifts and the blessings rather than the giver of those blessings. If you and I are searching for God's blessing and God's favor and God's gifts and God's prophecy and God's this and God's that, but we don't seek Him, we're deceived. You see, He says to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. He, when you get born again, when you get saved, when you receive Jesus into your heart, what do you get? You get Jesus. No, I want a double anointing. You can pray all day long for a double anointing. There is no such thing. It's Old Testamentical. You've got the fullness of Christ. He can't give you fullness of Him twice. Okay? He can't. He's given the fullness of Christ. He indwells you. Oh, the power. Do you understand that? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's your victory. That's your victory. Stop believing the lie. You can do this. Let's close up. Father, we thank you. Lord, I'm fired up right now. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the victory. Lord, I want to come and bless your children this morning. Lord, whatever area of struggle, whether it's their feet, their hands, their feet, their mouth, their foot, their eyes, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we release your victory into that place. We loose off their, their defeaters. We loosen off them that where the enemy thinks he's got territory in them right now in Jesus' name. Because all power has been given to you. And there's one name by which we can say, by demons flee, sickness is broken, Lord, um, broken hearts. You've come in Isaiah 61. You say, you take captive that which keeps us captive. You declare the year of the Lord, the year of jubilee, the year of freedom over your children. And I bless your children of that. I bless them with freedom. I bless them with power and with love and with a sound mind this morning. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Kom eens gaan drink koffie. Voor ek verder preek. <laughs> to the Tyrone To the earth knows You're a God of love And my dry bones 